Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So I'm going to try to go hands-free today because I always use my hands and I feel like I'm I'm stuck with this one, you know, because I'm holding the mic. So we'll see how it goes. I might pull it off and we don't know, but let's go. So we'll open up, uh, be preaching out of Romans chapter 10, be uh, verses 11 through 15. And my message title this morning is Fearless Gospel Preaching. Fearless Gospel Preaching. The last time that I spoke, um, we talked about, we defined what the gospel was. And now I feel like we are to be launched out as we have entered into the month of July, and we're going to be sharing our faith probably even more often than we're even accustomed to, uh, intentionally going door to door, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, we're going to be preaching out here open air on Friday nights and uh, just a lot of opportunity uh, to be in the presence of God uh, together. So let's look at our, our text Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that it would go forth and land on good soil and bring forth fruit the way that you designed it to. We thank you, Lord, that your word never returns void, and it accomplishes that which you sent it forth to do. Be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to preach to you uh, a four-point message uh, on fearless gospel preaching, but I want to cover a few things before uh, getting started. Um, Just on why we need to be fearless in the place of evangelism and how we can be fearless in the place of evangelism and gospel preaching. So when I say gospel preaching, I'm not specifically speaking about only this context of me standing in front of you and preaching the word, although how beautiful it is to be able to do that. Uh, But I want to empower you to share the gospel with boldness and without fear. Um, And we'll go through it uh, together. I always like to uh, encourage you guys to uh, read more. I always bring my books up here. Um, Oh, thank you. Um, Charles Spurgeon, The Soul Winner. If you want to grab a good uh, book on evangelism, a quote from this book, it says, To try to win a soul for Christ by keeping that soul in ignorance of any truth is contrary to the mind of the Spirit. And to endeavor to save men by mere claptrap or excitement or oratorical display is a foolish 
as sorry, it is as foolish as to hope to hold an angel down with your bare hands or to lure a star with music. The best attraction is the gospel in its purity. The weapon with which the Lord conquers men is the truth as it is in Jesus. The gospel will be found equal in every emergency. An arrow which can pierce the hardest heart, a bomb which can heal the deadliest wound. Preach it and preach nothing else. Rely explicitly upon the old, old gospel. You need no other nets to fish for men. Those your master has given you are strong enough for the great fishes and have meshes fine enough enough to hold the little ones. Spread these nets and no others, and you need not fear the fulfillment of his word. I will make you fishers of men. Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> it's not a sermon by Johnny if Spurgeon isn't messaged, uh, uh, mentioned there. So let's break uh, this thought down together by answering a few questions. How does gospel preaching work? Why is fearlessness necessary in gospel preaching? And then we will go on to the four points on how we can be fearless in our gospel preaching. So how does gospel preaching work? Are people won by eloquence, persuasiveness, even mere kindness? How do we make God seekers out of men that do not seek for God, according to Romans 3.11? According to Romans 3.11, no one seeks for God. So how do we make God seekers out of men? We are in a tent full of people that seek for God. How did that happen? Well, the Bible says, no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And how does he draw? Well, the answer is in many ways. But the only way for a man to come to the saving knowledge of God is as it is revealed in the gospel preached. Right? Our text said, how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard, and how will they hear without a preacher? This is the primary way that people are to come to Christ. Now, there are examples of people in their room reading their Bible, and they come to a saving knowledge of Christ. But the primary way that Christ designed for people to be saved and born again is through a hearing of the gospel. Now, there are many misconceptions about preaching and how people are one to Christ. But again, let's recap from the last time that I spoke on man's condition. Men are not just spiritually sick. According to the Bible, they are spiritually dead without Christ. If you believe that, you will not try to win them with gimmicks or persuasiveness. Because I can't persuade a dead man to live. And most of the church is trying this approach because they don't have their doctrine of man right. If you think man is just kind of bad or not too bad or he's mostly good, you will try to persuade him. You will try to gimmick him in. We're giving away some free stuff today. Why don't you come in? Right? That's not how people are born again. Praise God for free things. <laughs> Yeah. 
But what can a dead man do? <laughs> I heard a, once a man say, the only thing a dead man can do is stink. Romans 8, 7 says, now this is speaking of the, the human condition, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to, towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot submit to God's law. The mind set on the flesh is death. Gospel preaching is illustrated beautifully in Ezekiel 37, in the valley of dry bones. Prophesy, O son of man, can these bones live? And the prophet responds to the Lord, O oh Lord, you know. Prophesy to them. And as he prophesied, the bones came together and life was breathed into them. This is gospel preaching. When we lift up our voice and herald the gospel to people, we are heralding the gospel to a valley of dry bones. And we are prophesying for them to come to life. So when we preach to the lost, we are prophesying to the valley of dry bones. The prevenient grace of God. Prevenient means the grace that goes before. The prevenient grace of God must be released through the preached word of God to awaken dead hearts, to open eyes of the spiritual blind and open the ears of the spiritually deaf. One of the great questions that is asked in regards to evangelism is, how can I know that I will be effective in my preaching? And secondly, and maybe more commonly asked, how can I be more bold in the place of evangelism? I know I used to ask that all the time, Lord, I need more boldness. I need more boldness. Lord, I need more boldness. And I realized that I, and I didn't actually need more boldness. I just actually had to have a revelation of how good the gospel was. Once I know how good the gospel is, I won't shut up about it. I won't stop preaching because I know what it's done to me. I know what it's done to my friends, to my family. But I believe that all of these questions are answered by one of the great pervasive biblical truths and one that is a great generator of fearlessness in evangelism. And that truth is that God ordains the ends as well as the means. God ordains the ends as well as the means. I'll break that down. Listen to how Paul says that same sentiment in Romans 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So that is to say all your obeying to go and preach the gospel is enabled by God. The gospel going forth in power is through God. And the fruit of the gospel preached brings glory to God. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. In terms of fearless gospel preaching, how do we know that our preaching is necessary and how can we be sure that it will be effective? The answer is that truth. God ordains the ends as well as the means to accomplish that end. He ordains the results as well as the method. He ordains the fruit as well as the good works to bring it about. 
So how do we go, again, from a hostile wor a world towards God, hostile in every way, hating God, not able to submit to God's law, to in Revelation, a numberless multitude surrounding the throne, worshiping him day and night? How do we go from that, from hostile to praising God, to not only submitting to God's law, but loving God's law? Because Christ will have his people. And they come in by fearless gospel preaching. The ends is a people for God. The means is gospel preaching. Empowered by the Holy Ghost. Again, the Father has a bride for the Son. And that bride, his church, his ecclesia, literally his called out ones. As John 6, 37 says, all the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. A great man once said, I could bring the gospel to the ear of a man, but I cannot bring it to his heart. God must bring it to his heart. As evangelists, we can rest assured in the gospel because it is carried by the Spirit of God and will accomplish that which it was sent forth to do. So why is fearlessness necessary in gospel preaching? Fearlessness is necessary and needed because persecution is promised. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Acts 23.12, I mentioned last time, Men took vows to not eat or drink anything until Paul was dead. I don't know about you, but I don't hate anyone enough to not eat because of them. <laughs> but these men were so bent on killing this man that they were like, I'm not eating or drinking another thing until that man is in a grave. And all he was doing was bringing the good news on how men can be reconciled to God. So if you are faithful to preach this gospel, you're taking your life <laughs> into your own hands, <laughs> into God's hands. <laughs> but to live is Christ and to die is gain. Leonard Ravenhill once said, the problem with preachers today is nobody wants to kill them. <laughs> Are you loved by everyone that you know and everyone that you talk to? That might be an indication that you're not being faithful to Jesus. Luke 6, 26 says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. To some you meet, you'll be the best thing that ever crossed their path. And to others, you'll be the worst thing ever born of a woman. <laughs> But if we were seeking to please men, we would not be slaves of Christ. This life in Christ isn't for the faint of heart. That's why Christ gave us a new one. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, our Savior's consolation in persecution. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you.
Why does persecution come? Mainly because we are proclaiming Christ as Lord. Now to us, that, that phrase isn't as offensive as it was in the first century. So I'll give you a little bit of a, a background. But to proclaim Christ as Lord publicly was a death sentence for the first few centuries of the church. The Romans didn't care that Christians worshipped God. They had a bunch of gods. They had gods for every occasion. They didn't care that you had another god. They had so many gods that they made an altar to an unknown god, just in case they forgot one. They didn't care that Christians were worshipping God. But the statement, Jesus is Lord, is a wrecking ball to the idol industry. Imagine a table filled with idols and a Christian walking up to that table and swiping his hand of all the statues clean off the table and slamming his hand down. Christ is Lord. That's what you are doing every time you proclaim Christ is Lord. Only God is God. (laughs) Only Yahweh is God. Every other God is an idol who cannot see and cannot hear. There is one true living God. (laughs) Not only that, but it was saying that the Roman Caesar was not Lord when they were proclaiming Christ is Lord, which was a direct contradiction to the demanded profession of the day, which was Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. They used to say, there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Caesar is Lord. That sounds familiar to you, huh? Peter on the uh, preaching in the book of Acts. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which, given among men by which we must be saved. It was a direct offense to the powers that be to make the profession that Christ is Lord. When Peter stood up and said, Christ is Lord, he was saying, Caesar is not Lord. Your gods are not Lord. Only Christ is Lord. Why do we need to be fearless in our gospel preaching? Number one, because this will get you killed. You preach Christ as a way, one way among many, and you're fine. Everyone will think you're amazing. You start declaring only Christ is Lord. You just put a target on your back and became the enemy of the entire world. Lord, kurios in the Greek, means sovereign one, master, ruler, the supreme one, the one with all authority, the one with complete ownership rights. So when you declare someone is Lord, you mean they are the highest. They own everything. And that means they are worthy of your allegiance, worthy of your worship. Interestingly, interesting Bible fact, only 24 times is Jesus called Savior in the New Testament but he is called Lord upwards of 650 times. That's not to diminish his saviorhood. That's to say the one who saved us is Lord. And we can't separate those two. We can't have Christ as Lord and not uh, as savior and not submit to him as Lord. The the old saints used to say, he is either Lord of all or uh, or not Lord at all. Christ being Lord means that the gospel is more than an offer. It's more than an invitation. It is an offer and it, and it is an invitation. But more than that, it is a command. 
that you either obey or you disobey. Acts says, so now God commands all people everywhere to repent. Paul says in Romans that he was sent forth to bring about the obedience of the faith. So this is something when we herald and we say repent and believe the gospel, it's a command as much as it is an invitation. Also, persecution comes because we are telling people if they reject Christ to their end, they will suffer eternal torment by the wrath of God. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3, 18. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. John 3.36 Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and, and from the glory of his might. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-9. So these two things, proclaiming Christ as Lord and the consequences of not receiving Christ are a recipe for persecution for us. And we say, bring it on. We say we're not going to change the channel. We're not going to change the message of our Lord because we didn't write this message. We were given this message. It, this is the message that saved us. Why would we want to change it? <laughs> this is the only message that will change the world. So we are declaring in the gospel, no king but Christ. And eternal destruction is the portion of those who reject them to their end. And that is why we suffer persecution. So let us look at our text and pull some things, uh, some, some great just insights here from the text. I uh, grabbed this from the ESV uh, study Bible. It says, with a series of rhetorical questions, Paul considers a chain of events necessary for a person to be saved. Verse 14 is linked to verse 13 with the word call, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The logic of these verses is clear. Number one, people will call on Jesus to save them only if they believe he can do so. Belief in Christ cannot exist without knowledge about him. Three, one hears about Christ only when someone proclaims the saving message. And four, the message about Christ will not be proclaimed unless someone is sent by God to do so. So it's a logical uh, rollout of those four questions. That is why Paul was so urgent about spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, for he believed that the only way to be saved was to hear and believe the gospel. The gospel is to be primarily, I said it earlier, primarily preached and heard for salvation, not only read and understood. There's something in the preached word from God's ambassadors, God's emissaries to the nations saying, Christ is Lord, repent of your sin, turn and believe in the one true God. There's something that happens because his people are filled with his spirit and his spirit rides in on the gospel. 
interestingly as well, in verse 14, it says, him in whom, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? The, in, the word in there actually isn't there in the original language. Him whom they have not believed is actually how it is literally in the, in the Greek. So it's not that they're not believing you. It's that they're not believing Christ. The primary preacher of the gospel is Christ himself. When we herald the good news, it is Christ preaching his gospel through us. And when they reject you, they're rejecting him. And we want to, people to believe. And they can only believe if they hear. And they cannot hear unless someone preaches to them. So thus far we have established that preaching uh, works because Christ ordains the means to accomplish his ends of gathering his church from the four corners of the earth. And fearless gospel preaching is necessary because persecution and resistance is promised due to the content of the message. So let's begin with these or conclude with these four points. So how can we be fearless in our gospel preaching? Number one, fearless gospel preaching comes from understanding what the mission is. Fearless gospel preaching comes from understanding what the mission is. Imagine being thrust out onto a battlefield, having never been briefed on the mission, blindly being dropped behind enemy lines. You don't know what gear you needed to bring or what weapon would have been most effective. You are literally clueless on what you are there to do. You would most likely be overcome with fear. Flip that on its head. Now imagine being thrust out onto a field of battle that you've prepped your entire life for. You've briefed the mission hundreds of times and ran just as many mock missions. You knew the objective clearly, and because you've prepared, you have everything that you need and then some. Your weapon was forged for this mission. Not only that, but in this case, your enemy has already been defeated. They have been stripped of their power, and the king that you serve absolutely made a spectacle of them, humiliating them by parading them around in their chains. Your task is to walk into a dungeon and escort prisoners to safety into your kingdom by proclaiming the triumph of your king over their cruel tyrant that has held them captive for their whole lives. In this case, you would be fearless. So what is the mission? The mission is outlined in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, go. I, heard, I once heard it said, we're being disobe oh, disobedient if we just go. We have to therefore go. <laughs> all authority, all of it, in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. Therefore, go. Preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. This is the mission. All authority in heaven and on earth. All nations. No nation is excluded from the gospel. All doctrine. That means the, the teaching. 
teaching obedience to all God's commands from Genesis to Revelation and all of time. He will back us up every time, all the time. Not to say that there, won't, there will always be visible fruit, but God will be faithful to you and to his word to accomplish that which he desires to do. So we be faithful in the place to proclaim the message and he will back us up 100% of the time. The old Saint John Calvin once said, the primary task or mission of the church in the world is to make the invisible kingdom visible. Number two, fearless gospel preaching comes from who is leading the mission. If you believe you are leading the evangelism effort, you should be nervous <laughs> and quite unconfident. But Christ is the captain of the hosts of the Lord. He is the one who leads us into battle. Yahweh himself goes before his church. Deuteronomy 31.7 says, And Yahweh, the one who goes ahead of you, he will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and manifests through us the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma of death to death and the other an aroma of life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? If he is leading us, then he gets all the glory. And if he is leading us, the pressure of making something happen comes off of us. <laughs> we don't save people. <laughs> Christ saves people. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I have planted, Apollos has watered, but God brings the increase. Acts 13, 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So all we do is proclaim the word, and God does his work in the hearts of men. Do you know that persecution actually refines us and makes us more like Jesus? That if we're trying to mince words and and not to try to, we're trying to skate around the reality of hell or, or different things, we're actually missing out on an opportunity to become more like Jesus when we're rejected. And God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So persecution is a blessing, especially according to Matthew 5 in the words of Jesus, blessed are you when you are persecuted. But he always leads us in a triumphal procession praise God point three fearless gospel preaching comes from the probability of mission success so these are tied together so here are some verses promising mission success again second corinthians 2 14 through 16 but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ always Jeremiah 1.12 says he watches over his word to perform it. Amen. Ephesians 1.11 says he works everything after the counsel of his own will. 
Malachi 1.11 says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering, pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's guarantee that the nations will bow their knee. Maybe not in my lifetime. Maybe not in my children's lifetime. Maybe in their children's lifetime. Or maybe the generations after that. But one day, every knee will bow. God gave us his guarantee. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, and make it bare and sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what pleases me and without succeeding in the matter in which I sent it. You hear these guarantees God is making. If you are faithful to preach his word and not your own, if you're faithful to preach his gospel and not your own, it will accomplish that which it was set forth to do. We are guaranteed success. That means that if we preach his gospel faithfully, it will accomplish exactly what it was meant to accomplish every time we preach it. Now, point four, this one will take me a little bit longer because I have 10 points within the, four point, the fourth point. Fearless gospel preaching comes from the following 10 truths being settled in our heart. You see, the truth and the worthiness of a mission incites confidence and boldness in the soldiers. If you don't believe in the mission, you're not going to be all in for it. But these 10 things must be settled in your heart and mind in order for your evangelism to be effective and fearless in the world. Again, I'll use the word all to categorize these 10 truths. Number one, all of the Bible. The Bible is the infallible word of God and therefore the immovable, unchanging standard of truth for life, faith, and practice. If you do not believe that, you have no reason to be fearless. And truthfully, you're actually not serving Christ if you reject this truth. If you reject the, the Bible as the word of God, you do not serve Christ because this is his word. And the only way you could have objective truth about Christ is in the Bible. <laughs> many, many people always uh, criticize that. They always say, you know, your argument is circular. You're going back to the Bible and you're working your way back. But actually, every apologetic is circular. Whatever your highest authority is, is what you will always appeal back to. So if logic is your highest authority, you will always appeal back to logic. If your reason is your uh, highest authority, you will appeal back to reason. But we appeal to the word of God. So everyone's arguments are circular. It just depends on who you've bowed to. Life makes no sense without the Christian worldview. Truth and moral claims hold no um, ground without the Christian worldview. You cannot tell me objective truth between what is right or wrong without an objective standard. So when I'm out preaching and someone says, it's not right that you're out here proclaiming this message, we don't want what you have to say. You do, and, I, and I'll ask them, well, well, by what standard? 
by what standard are you telling me what's right and wrong? Well, because I don't think that's good. Well, you're not an authority. <laughs> Christ is Lord, remember? Outside of a standard of absolute truth, everything is relative, and we are living in a society that is imploding on itself because everything is relative. You cannot do science, math, without the Christian worldview. Do you understand that? You can't do math or science without the uniformity in nature. Unless yesterday is going to be like today, and today will be like tomorrow, science isn't worth doing because it will be constantly changing. But we can have established realities in science because of the uniformity in nature, which is consistent with the nature of our God, who is unchanging, and the consistency with his word, which is unchanging. Same with math. Two plus two is four every single day of the week, no matter what they tell you in school. <laughs> this is consistent with the nature of our God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. We are reduced to foolishness by rejecting Christ's self-attesting revelation in his word. Number two, all authority. Christ is king and therefore has dominion over all nations and all people for all time. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God was the whole point. It was what the Jews were looking for. That's why the disciples kept asking Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were looking for it. God is king of the nations, always has been and always will be. Christ is made manifest in the fullness of time to visibly display and inaugurate God's kingdom on the earth. Matthew 16, 28. Truly, I say to you, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death until the Son of Man comes in his kingdom. This is speaking to the disciples. Some of you, the 12 of you, will not taste death until I enter into my kingdom. When did Jesus enter into his kingdom? Death, burial, resurrection. Seated on a throne, crowned with many crowns. That's when the kingdom of God started. Christ is currently reigning on the Messiah's throne, putting all enemies under his feet through his spirit-filled church. Christ will come at the end of the age to consummate the kingdom and to reign on the earth forever. No one seems to understand the kingdom of God today because they disregard a major point in the life and triumph of Christ, which is the doctrine of the ascension. The doctrine of the ascension says after Christ triumphed over the grave and he resurrected, he rose to be seated at the right hand of the Father. First, he showed himself to the Father, showing that his sacrifice was actually efficacious. It was effective in the thing that it was set forth to do. And after showing to himself to the Father and sprinkling his blood on the heavenly mercy seat. He sat down at the right hand of the Father and he was crowned and given a kingdom and a dominion that will never end. And if you believe that, you have nothing to fear. <laughs> Christ is king. <laughs> number three, all the saints. Because number two is true, we, as the ecclesia of God, have the right, the duty, and the privilege as his people to proclaim the gospel in all places at all times. 
you must believe that you are not being an inconvenience to those you are preaching to, but that you are actually doing exactly what you should be doing in that moment. If you look at people as an inconvenience or that you are an inconvenience to them, you will not fearlessly preach the gospel to them because you think you're, you know, bothering them, wasting their time. The gospel is never a waste of time. People are perishing. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next second. Urgency, urgency in the gospel. Thank you, Lord. I'm fired up today. (laughs) You must believe that you are not being an inconvenience. You must unapologetically be bold and urgent in your presentation. There you are on assignment from your king as his ambassadors, as his emissaries. When ambassadors and emissaries go to other nations to bring word from a king, they do not apologize for their message. They've been delegated authority to bring that message to that nation. And we serve the king of kings. Point four, all of Christ. This is very important. All of these are important, but we just need this in our day. We need this. All of Christ. The exclusivity of Christ for salvation. That he is the only way to be pardoned from the sin debt you owe God. You must be convinced that Christ and Christ alone is the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you think there's another way, you will not fearlessly proclaim this message, nor should you. (laughs) If everyone makes it in the end, what's the point? (laughs) Listen to this. If, If it was the fact that men are without excuse for not hearing the gospel, then us sending missionaries to foreign lands is actually a cruel thing. Because if we leave them in their ignorance, according to that line of thinking, they're good. But according to the display and revelation of God and his attributes, in nature alone, it leaves men without excuse. And therefore, every man must hear the gospel. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The exclusivity of Jesus. Point five, all nations. There will be representation from all nations in the flock of God. There is not a nation, a tribe, or a tongue that will not have at least one person that responds to the gospel. Isn't that encouraging? People that risk their life to go to a small tribe to share the gospel with them, they're not wasting their breath or their life because one of that tribe will come to Christ, according to the scriptures. And we stand on the scriptures. Every person that you preach to could respond to the gospel. Again, there is not a place in the world in which your foot will tread that God is, does not own that place and two, that those people do not need to hear the gospel. As he said to Joshua, I will give you every place the sole of your foot will tread. That ground I will give to you. He owns it. God owns it all. So every place you place your foot, you are standing on God's ground proclaiming God's message. And you are backed by heaven. 
As the prophet said, I wish that you could see that there are more for you than are against you. Lord, I ask that you would open up the eyes of your church to see that there are more for us than that are against us. We have myriads and myriads of angels backing us every time we go and preach the gospel. All people, number six, all people, all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are commanded to repent for their sin and serve the living God. In order to properly and fully preach God's message to the world, it must include at least some level of law. And what I mean by that is our inability to keep God's law, our guilty standing before God's law, and our eternal consequences on breaking God's law. Unbelievers love to ask these questions. If there is a God, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, according to Romans 3, there is none good. No, not one. All have sinned. All have turned aside. There is none who seek for God. Their mouth is an open grave. Under their tongue is the venom of asps. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is none good. Any blessing that you have is a gift from God. John the Baptist said, no one can receive anything but that which is given to him from heaven. Breath, life, heartbeat is God being generous to you. Number seven, all of grace. The offer of salvation is not contingent on the good works that you do, nor on the bad things you've done in the past. You are not counted out because of your record of sin. And you cannot earn it because you've been so good, because you haven't. <laughs> it is all of grace. That means that I cannot earn it. And I need it. Everyone, think about this. I, I hear people say this all the time. Well, that person was really far gone. That person was really hard hard to reach. Everyone is just as hard to reach. Everyone is just as dead in their trespasses and sins. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is not hard for God to raise a dead man. He's the one who spoke breath into us at the beginning. He's the one holding us together by the word of his power. If he lets go of us, we're gone. Everyone is just as dead in their trespasses and sins, and therefore the gospel must be all of grace. All of grace. We say grace, grace. <laughs> Point eight. All sufficient. Christ will bring to completion every good work that he begins. As Philippians says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Guarantee. God's just making guarantee after guarantee in his word. And we could bank our life on it, and you should. He begins the work, as in Ezekiel 36, when he replaces the heart of stone and gives us a, a heart of flesh. When he gives us the right to become children of God, John 1 God has brought about the means of the gospel and he begins the work in us. He brings you to completion. 
Hebrews 7, 27, it says, He is able to save to the uttermost those that draw near to him through God. <laughs> so he begins it. He brings you to completion. And then he presents you blameless. Jude 1, 24, he is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless on the last day. So he starts the work. He brings you to completion and presents you blameless. He is all-sufficient. He is the all-sufficient Christ. He does not just lead you by the hand into the kingdom and then let you go to fend for yourself. Right? Even the, the, the verse that we love to quote, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, comma, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do. Why can you work out your salvation? Because God is working in you. <laughs> he is sufficient. The all-sufficient Christ. Point nine. Two more. Bear with me. You guys are doing great. He is all-satisfying. You must believe this. You must believe that Christ is all-satisfying. Coming to Christ, you must believe coming to Christ is the best thing that any human being could ever do. If you do not believe that, you will be fearful in sharing it. Because you know what? You might be let down. But I haven't met one man that truly surrendered their life to Christ that was let down by him. And I never will. Because he is faithful. And he is all satisfying. Was it Psalm 1611? You have shown me the path to life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. He is all satisfying. Point 10, all glory. Andrew Murray once said, if God does half the work, he gets half the credit. But since he does all the work, he is worthy of all the glory. If he is leading us, he gets all the glory. Again, there is no pressure to make something happen because he is the God who works on our behalf. As we faithfully proclaim the message to the people that are in front of us, God goes forth by the person of the Holy Spirit to soften the stony heart, to make it pliable and receptive of the gospel. This is the picture of the parable of the seed uh, and, and the sower that Jesus tells it's sown everywhere on good ground, on bad soil. The, the sun is scorching some. The birds come and eat some. This is the, the sowing of the gospel on hearts of men. And not everyone is ready to receive the implanted seed. But that, there is no less of a need for them to hear it. You must preach the gospel. You must sow the seed of the gospel. Because there is no other name under heaven by which must, uh, men must be saved. <laughs> we must preach the gospel. We can't withhold this. I, I said this last time. We would call men evil that have the cure for cancer that didn't give it. You have a cure for something much more devastating than cancer. You must give it. You must give the cure to this lost and dying world. It is the only remedy for our broken society. It is the only remedy for the nations raging. 
no matter who we get in office, it doesn't change anything if men's hearts are not changed. We must preach the gospel because it's the only way for a man to be receptive to God, to surrender to him and to live by his law, by his perfect law. The only way we can know how to love our neighbor and love God is because he set a standard for us, because he set a law before us, and it is good. If you want to know how God feels about his law, read Psalm 119. The longest chapter in the Bible, David just marveling about the glory of the law of God. Because, you know, everyone loves the, sw the slogan, like, love God and love people. Amen. But what does that look like? Because your definition of love might be di different from your definition of love. We need God to define love. We need God in his law to define love. And in the gospel, it is realized. This is love. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. So the gospel call, as we wrap this up, we must be fearless because persecution is promised because the content of our message will bring about persecution. But we can be fearless because of our triumphant Christ that always leads us everywhere that we go in the gospel, everywhere we go in life, he's leading us in triumph, accomplishing his purposes in us, through us, around us, there's no need to fear, for he has conquered death. He's conquered death, hell, and the devil. <laughs> he has left no stone unturned. <laughs> no one can stand against our God. So you be bold in your proclamation of the gospel. Let fear be removed in Jesus' name right now from every heart, for he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So the gospel call, as you're getting ready to, to go out, the gospel call can be summarized in these three, and I'm sure you've heard these before. Admit, believe, confess. Something simple, because I know a lot of us are new to sharing our faith. Admit. Everyone must admit that they've sinned directly against God, the true God, and because of it, we deserve eternal death. One, someone once asked me, why is hell eternal if I'm finite? If my sins are finite, why is hell eternal? It's not because your sins are eternal. It's because who you sinned against is eternal. And the only just punishment is eternal damnation because you've sinned against the eternal God. You believe, you must believe that God sent Christ to take the penalty of your sin and was raised for your pardon. And you must confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord of all and commit your life to him entirely. <laughs> this is good news. Even when I'm sharing about the eternal destruction that every one of us deserve, I deserve this. You deserve this. There is no one not guilty here until Christ has slammed the gavel down and said, not guilty. My, the blood of my son is upon you. And the righteousness that was in my son has been imputed to you. And your sin has been imputed to him. This is the good news. 
that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was still far off, I was brought near by the blood of his son. This is good news. This, is, this should, if you're born again, this should get you going. <laughs> this should get you going. <laughs> we must be fearless in this presentation. We have the best news to ever be shared. Have you ever had good news to share with someone? You come running into your house. I, I got to tell you something. I'm so excited to tell you something. <laughs> this must be our reality as the people of God. We are marked by joy. <laughs> the joy of our salvation. Even when I'm preaching on the, the travesties and, and the, 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 the consequences of hell, I can do it with a, a smile on my face knowing that if one turns to Christ, they will be saved. So today, turn. If you do not know him, turn to him. Admit that you've sinned against him. And we all have. Believe in him alone that he is the only way for you to be saved. And confess with your mouth, mouth that only he is Lord. And surrender your entire life to him. In Jesus' name. We're so happy Amen. you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.